Let's get to our message today. It's from Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. And the word of God reads, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll just open up our hearts, you'll open up our minds, you'll open up our wills so that we might just want to do what you are calling us to do and to be and to step into who you are calling us to be. Make that clear to us, but more than the clarity, convict us to actually be the church that you desire. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we are all called to ministry. That If you remember nothing else, remember this one. You are called to ministry. Did you guys know that? We are all called to ministry. If you are in Christ, you are actually a minister. You're just not a child of God. God sees you as one of his ministers. You know, if you read just any New Testament book, you can just pick it up. You're going to find something that says that. You know, if you pick up 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, not only are you a minister, but God sees you as his ambassador to the world. Do you guys know what an ambassador does? Like if you're the ambassador of Australia to China or, you know, do you guys know what an ambassador is? You know what the main job of an ambassador is? The main job of an ambassador is to basically import the culture of their home country into whatever country they're called to, you know? And so if we are ambassadors of the kingdom to earth, then our whole job is simply to import kingdom values, the culture of the kingdom to this world. That's what we were saved to do. And honestly, when I I read my Bible, I constantly feel like the reason why I have life and breath today is so that we can live out this identity. The reason why God gives you another day to live is so that you can faithfully live out this identity as his minister, as his ambassador to this world. And so um, I think the reason why God just gives us life every single day, you know, sometimes I think, oh man, why was I saved? Because after I was saved, all I do is sin. All I do is stumble people. All I do is not live for God. There are so many more negative things about my Christian life than there is about positive things that impacts the world. And so to me, if I, if, if, if Christianity is kind of like this balance, I always feel like the negative things that I do against Jesus weigh much more heavily than the positive things that I do for the kingdom. So why would God keep me alive? And this is the whole thing. I always feel like God keeps me alive because those positive positive things that he's called me to can actually change the world. And this is what he wants from us. And so he gives us another day. His mercies are new every single morning, not only so that we can be forgiven, but so that we can live out the identity that he's called us to. And so this is, I know it's a little intense, isn't it? Right from the, right from the start, but today's a little intense. Uh, I didn't preach last week, so I have all this pent-up energy in me. Anyway, so this is what I want you guys to realize. You know, so we are all called to be ministers. But hey, hold up, Eddie. Are you saying that we're all called to be full-time pastors like you? And the answer is no. 
That's a completely different calling. If there's anything, I don't want you to do that, you know? But we are all called to be full-time ministers, and this is the way I'm going to phrase it to you. We're all called to be full-time ministers in your vocation. Whatever God, wherever God's leading you, however God's leading you, in what direction, you're called to be a full-time minister there. And though, you know, the thing is, if you've never thought that way, I think a lot of times Christians today not thinking that way is the greatest challenge of the modern church, of the Western church today. You know, um, I don't think we see ourselves as people who are called to ministry. We think, oh, it's those pastor guys that do that. But no, we don't think like that enough. And therefore, I feel like because we don't think like that, we don't impact the world the way we were called to enough. You know, um, people back then in the first century church, they woke up every single morning knowing that, hey, I'm called to ministry. I'm called to, you know, be an ambassador to this world. So I'm going to live that out. And because they did that confidently every single day, I believe that's why God anointed them so powerfully to impact and change the world. They were just simple, uneducated men who somehow, some way impacted the world. And I believe the reason why is because they knew who God called them to me to be, and they just lived it out. If we did that today, do you think that we'd be anointed with similar power, with similar conviction, with similar impact? And for me, I would never preach up here if I didn't believe that the answer to that question was yes. You know, I think the greatest challenge that we face today in the modern church, one of the greatest challenges is that we don't wake up with the sense of, oh my gosh, I'm called to full-time ministry and I'm called to impact this world and my generation for the glory of God. And I'm going to do that through my job. I'm going to do that through my family. So, I'm going to start out my message with the application first, okay? If you forget the rest of the message, it's okay, <laughs> okay? But I want to start out with this application, and this is it. I want all of us to make a fundamental permanent shift in the way you view yourself, okay? A fundamental permanent shift in the way you view yourself, and this is it. I want you to view yourself as a minister first, your vocation second, okay? That's simple. I want, you to con I want you to view yourself as a minister first, a husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, second. Okay? Minister first. Okay? And then what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, what does it mean for me to be a minister first as a student? What does it mean for me to be a minister first as my vocation? What does it mean for me to be a minister as a husband or as a mother, as a sister or brother, son or daughter? What does it mean for me to be a minister first as a member of this Tuesday night sports team? What does it mean for me to be a member first as this weekend club? What does it mean for me to, for me to be a member first in my CG or as a part of this church? Do you guys see? And the answers to those questions will not only change your life, but it will impact the lives of the people around you eternally. But only if we think I'm a minister first. Do you guys get that? That's the application. Let me explain how we get there. Um, what does it mean to be a minister? What does that look like? How do we become a minister? Well, in our passage today, Paul shares with these Colossian believers exactly what his ministry looks like and what ministry is. And in our passage today, we're going to learn four valuable lessons on how we can become effective ministers for the gospel today, okay? And I hope that's what you want to do. So here we go. Here, So four lessons. The first is this. A minister's attitude is a willingness to suffer. Okay, that's the first. Right out of the gate. 
This is the greatest message you'll hear. I've lost like 50% of you. But it's okay. To be an effective minister, you must be willing to suffer. Right? Well, it all makes sense, but that's the bottom line. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. In this verse, Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings, which is actually a little bit crazy because nobody rejoices in their sufferings. Anybody rejoice in their sufferings? Nobody does. But yet he says he does. Why? Because it's building the church. Now, before we explain that, I want you to, I want to clarify something to you. The sufferings that Paul's talking about here are not self-inflicted sufferings. They're also not sufferings out of stupidity. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, Christians do stuff like this. And let me explain, you know, when I first became a Christian, you know, or when, when I was a young Christian, a lot of people would do stuff like this. Have you ever done stuff like this? Oh, Eddie, you know, I'm going to spin this globe and wherever my finger lands, that's where I really believe God is sending me. And you want to know something? I'm not going to bring food. I'm not going to bring clothes. I'm not going to bring money. I'm not going to bring anything. I'm just going to depend on God. And you know, and I'm just going to go there and do his work. If that person gets on a plane to do exactly that, do you think that person's going to suffer? Of course that person's going to suffer, especially if your finger lands in the middle of the ocean, right? Which I, I'm like praying all will land in the ocean. You know, I don't like you. Anyway, but I mean, of course, but that that's not that's not suffering for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you can say it is, but I don't think it is. That's just self-inflicted stupidity to some extent. You know, that's not really living for God. The suffering that Paul is talking about here are the sufferings that he's he's experiencing as a result of gospel ministry to others. What are some physical examples? Some external examples would be like he, you know, he lands in jail, he gets tortured. Right? He gets shipwrecked on islands. There's so many persecutions. People accuse him of all these things. Internally, what are some of the sufferings that we go through, that he went through? You know, a lot of times, sometimes we, we have doubts. We struggle with sin, right? We, we struggle with how to live with, a, with, with pure motives. You know, there's so many things that go on externally, internally that we suffer with. Um, but what, what's great about what he says is he rejoices in all of those sufferings because they build the church. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to share with you how it exactly builds the church. But can, I, but can I talk about suffering a little bit before I move on? Suffering for the Christian. You know, the church doesn't talk about it much. But suffering is the mark of a Christian. You know, suffering is the call to follow Jesus is the call to suffer, okay? Jesus says that a true follower must do what? You must carry my cross. That's what he says. You need to deny yourself. You need to carry your cross and then follow me. The cross was the symbol of torture and death 2,000 years ago. So what's he saying? He's saying that if you're going to follow after me, expect a life of suffering. He goes on to say, hey, you know, blessed are those, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. What is that saying? He's saying like, man, it's a good thing, you know, when you get persecuted and when you suffer. That's a great thing. And he's like, you know, affirming that, which is like amazing. What does that say? Suffering is what characterizes a believer. Doesn't that fly in the face of prosperity gospel? It does, right? Suffering is what characterizes a believer. But here, but that's more. I know that's tough to hear, but there's more. It's one thing. It's not enough that... We're expected to suffer, but a true minister welcomes suffering as the will of God and the path of God 
in their lives. Okay, tough, tough, tough. I know, um, but that's what it, that's what it means, you know. And it makes sense, especially in light of Easter that happened a few weeks ago. You know, we said that man on Good Friday, we died with Christ at the crucifixion, and then on Sunday, three days later, we said, well, we are raised with Christ in the resurrection. So then it, does, it just makes sense, doesn't it, that while we're still living this life on earth, just like Jesus did, that we would share in his sufferings, as Jesus did. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. But here's the good news. Christians don't suffer for suffering's sake. Okay, We don't suffer just to suffer. There's nothing like super holy in, the, in just suffering. We don't suffer for suffering's sake because the sufferings we rejoice in, according to this passage, Paul says, are the sufferings that build the church, right? When we welcome sufferings in our lives, when we endure suffering within our lives, when we grow through sufferings within our lives, the lessons that we learn, the things that God teaches us, the things that God transforms us into, now all of a sudden become the blessings that will build and transform the church. Okay, how, how does that happen? Well, let me share with you an example in my life of something that I went through that still to this day, I believe God uses to build the church. You know, I might have shared this story before, but when I first became a small group leader, like a CG leader, I was in uni. I was a second year uni student. I was like latter 19, early 20s. And it was, I was a CG leader for the first time. And I, w- I, I took it very seriously. You know, I would like study for like hours and, and prepare for hours for this Bible study that I was going to lead on a Tuesday night or wherever it was. Um, but after a few meetings, my small group got so angry at me that they mutinied and they literally left, right? My, my third CG meeting. It, um, they were yelling. They literally stopped the Bible study. In the middle of the Bible study, they started yelling at me. And they started yelling things like, Eddie, why do you even ask us questions? Why do you waste our time like that? Because every answer that we give, it's, it's not satisfactory to you. You just have this face, that, this face that frowns. Therefore, we know that we just said the wrong answer. And it doesn't matter anyway, because you're going to spend the last 30 minutes preaching at us. So why do you even ask the questions? Why do you make us feel stupid? Why do you make us feel like we're not smart enough to be here? And why you know, do you do all that and then preach to us for 30 minutes? I don't want to come to this place to, make, to, feel, to feel small. And then to get yelled at and preached at by you? Why would I waste my time with that? And they all got up collectively, all 20 of them, and they just left. Right? That's what happened to me. Third time ever as a CG leader. Right? See? You CG leaders, be encouraged. Right? You are not as bad as I was. That was a terrible day. Okay? <laughs> I was devastated. It hurt so much. I was seriously devastated. I was so embarrassed. I felt so small, but in my arrogance, I was also really angry. Like, who are these ungrateful punks, <laughs> you know, to like, to tell me all this? And I also, but that led me on this path. You know, eventually, if you love Jesus enough, you, you know, you, you complain to your friends and all that stuff, but then you eventually, you have, it's you and Jesus, and you start talking to Jesus about what happened, you know? And I'm complaining, and I'm complaining, and I'm complaining, and I'm asking, what happened, what happened? But then all of a sudden, God starts to really, really reveal to you, you know, how much you don't really love your students or how much you don't really love your CG. You like being a leader, but you don't really love your people. You know, and all of a sudden, he started to reveal how, how like lazy I was in my preparation. 
You prepared a Bible study, Eddie, so that you could preach to them in the last 30 minutes. You didn't prepare a Bible study so that they could discover how amazing and beautiful Christ is. And so that they might be motivated and inspired to actually do more, to run after God more throughout the week. You didn't create a Bible study that was like that. You created a Bible study so that you could preach and take the easy way out and show off yourself and all of your knowledge. You created a Bible study in such a way, you created a small group atmosphere in such a way so that you could actually make them feel small, so that you could feel good about yourself, so that you could make yourself feel bigger, and so that you could like exercise your authority over them. And that crushed me when I realized that, right? So, and that destroyed me even more, but, but in a very good way because you know, after a lot of like phone calls to beg them to come back the next week, uh, they came back. And I just simply said, hey, guys, I'm, I apologize for everything that happened. I shared all the lessons I felt like God was trying to share, you know, share with me. And then I said, look, can we just grow together? Can we learn together? Can we learn how to do this Bible study leadership thing together? Can we just grow and inspire each other? Let's let the main thing be Christ, not my leadership, this atmosphere, whatever, whatever, whatever. And can we somehow, some way, learn together how to do this thing? And week after week, that's what we did. And it was amazing how I could just see lives change, how relationships became stronger, and how even me, I, I learned what it meant to be a leader and to have a heart of a leader, you know? And I, I think till this day, it was one of the strongest groups I've ever had to, I ever led in my whole life. But that, all that came about because of, I don't want to say it like this, but I'm going to say it, all that came about because of what I suffered. You know, and those sufferings and those challenges and those, you know, all those things led to me being able to bless the church better. And it still does today. It still motivates me today, you know, to make church like that and to make our faith and our growth together as a community like that. You know, God brings sufferings and challenges and hardships so that we can grow to become like Jesus so that in turn we can take those blessings and transformations and bless the church with it, to share it with the church, to grow with the church. The, persecur the persecution you experience at work, you're ostracizing at school. When you get ostracized at school, you know, when, you're, when you spend so much time praying to overcome your doubts, maybe you're a leader and you bomb and bomb and bomb week after week, but by God's grace, people still come back. You know, all that stuff is making us more like Christ. God, God wants to speak to us. God wants us to grow. And God wants to make us like Jesus, not just to make us like Jesus, but so that we can take those lessons and share that with our church so that we could take those lessons and empower and empower the church and empower the body with it. God does that to each one of us individually so that we could be a blessing to each other corporately. And that's how God works. You know, that's God's way. History has always proven that God used suffering, personal and corporate, and the church to really move the gospel powerfully throughout this world. And he still continues to do so. And so, you know, I know we don't like to hear things like that, but if we truly want the gospel to spread in this world today, if we truly want the, to see the gospel work in your non-Christian's life today, if you want to see the gospel uh, ministry work in your CG or in this church today, then you know what we need? We need to have this attitude of asking God to give us more suffering. Tough teaching. 
But if we know that that's God's way to bless the church, and if we really want the church to be blessed and to grow, then someone's got to bear the cross. You know what I'm saying? But ministers are the ones who are called to bear that. And that's what he's calling us to. So, you know, a minister welcomes suffering because we're convinced that through our suffering that God will use those lessons, those blessings, that humility, that dependence to bless the church. And that's what we want to see. Can you imagine if each one of us went through that kind of personal suffering and we had this attitude, hey, I'm going to use this to bless, to share with my church, to share with my CG, to share with the people here. And if we all were sharing those things together, we could grow together to love him more. So if you're courageous enough, can I ask you, if that's who you want to be and if that's what you want to see in our church, ask God today for some more suffering. God, give me more suffering. You know, those are the prayers that he loves answering quickly. But it's good. Okay. But that's what a minister does. You know, if Jesus said that the first thing you need to do is deny yourself and carry your cross, I think that's what Jesus wants too. You know what I'm saying? So before we move on to our second point, verse 24, I don't want to skip over this. Verse 24 is one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture because it sounds like what Paul's saying here is that um, somehow, someway, the sufferings of Christ was lacking while he lived. So he's going to make up for it through his life, okay? That's what it sounds like in verse 24. But I just want to clarify that up before we move forward. It's so not true. Everything that Christ did, what he died for, what he suffered for, what he resurrected for, what he accomplished was perfect. The reconciliation that we just talked about the past few weeks, it's absolutely perfect. It's wonderful. There's nothing that's lacking. But what, what Paul's talking about here, and the English is what fails us here, the English translation, what, what Paul's talking about here is there's a very intimate connection between believers and Christ. There's a very intimate connection between the church and Christ. Okay, and so when believers suffer, when Paul suffers for the sake of the gospel, because we know now that our suffering blesses the church, which is Christ's body, and there's this intimate connection. Every single time we as believers suffer for the gospel, so does the church. Therefore, so does Christ, because that's the body of Christ. And so when we suffer, not only does it build the church, but what the great part of this verse, what it's saying is that not only does it build the church, our suffering, but it also brings us, brings us intimately closer to Christ in ways that we never would have, because he suffered those things for us as well. So that's what that verse is talking about, okay? Uh, a minister's attitude is a willingness to suffer. Secondly, a minister's charge is to take responsibility for the church, verse 25. He says, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, in this verse, Paul is saying that a minister, to be a minister, means that you need to be a servant of the church. The actual Greek word says slave. So here's the point. If you want to be a minister, which we're all called to be, then you must be a slave of the church. How many of you hate what I just said and feel absolutely uncomfortable and wants to fight back right now? It's good, you know, it happens, especially in the Korean church. Oh, Eddie, can I tell you how many times I've been manipulated, how many times I've been abused, how many times I've been pressured to like serve and be a slave of the church when I didn't even want to be? Even when I said yes, they still abused me, they still like, you know, guilted me, they still like manipulated me to do even more. And a lot of times, that's our experience in the church. Eddie, when you say that we need to be slaves of the church, is that what you're saying we need to be? Please tell me you're not preaching that. And what I'll say is, no, I'm not going to abuse you or manipulate you or guilt you into doing anything for the church. 
And what I, and this is what I will say. If that has been your experience, I'm so sorry. I really apologize for all the ministers previous. I apologize for the church. We never should have done that to you. You know, I'm really sorry if that happened to you. Please forgive us because that's wrong, you know? But with that said, if Jesus really is that great and if he really is that wonderful, and you know how wonderful he is. And you really want to see Jesus more in others. Then in order to do that, we need to be a servant of the church. We need to work collectively together. The church cannot be the church unless we all give ourselves completely to it. That's what God always designed for the church to be. You know, we all cannot, we, we cannot give 20% each. We all need to give ourselves to be servants of the church so that we can help each other grow so that we can empower each other, so we can bless each other with the lessons that we're learning. And, you know, we'll find it in the next two points exactly how, but this is what God wants from each one of us. And if you have a desire to love God and to want to see God be greater, not only in your life, but in your church and in this world, then we must be servants of the church together. Okay. Here in this pop, so how do we do that? In this passage, Paul talks about one very specific way that we're all called to be responsible for the church. And this is what he says. He says, the way we're going to be responsible for the church is to present you the word of God in its fullness. But what does that mean to present the word of God in its fullness? Well, the NIV uses the word fullness, but I think it's a bad translation. Most other translations say uh, to fulfill the word of God. So what does it mean to fulfill the word of God? And this is what it means. It means to preach the word of God fully in its entirety, and then to live it out powerfully. That's what it means to fulfill the Word of God. The Word of God wasn't just created and given to us so we could preach it and know truth. But the Word of God was given to us so we could know truth and then live it out powerfully and show off the power of God to the world. This is why we were given the Word of God. The word of God. So to preach the Word of God in its entirety means to preach it in its entirety and not just pick and choose the verses that we like, but everything about it, even the suffering stuff, right? But then, because the Word of God is the power of God, we now need to live that out so that God's power can be seen in this world. Not just the truth, but his power can be seen in us to this world. That's pretty huge, isn't it? But here's the question. How is preaching and obedience taking responsibility for the church? Okay, that's a big leap. But here we go. This is how I'm going to bridge it. To be a member of the church, okay, or here we go. The focus of your church membership, this is how it gets bridged. The fo- a lot of times we think the focus of our church membership should be about us. But the focus of church membership is not you. Okay? But the focus of church membership is your desire to see God's word grow eternal fruit in others. That's why you're a member of the church. When you decide to become a member of the church, it's not, it's not for you. But so that you can now bear this responsibility of seeing God's word take a hold of people's lives and grow eternal fruit in them. That's what it means to be a member of the church. And so that's what the focus of our lives should be. If I'm going to be a part of the FLM, then you want to know something? I'm going to come on every single Sunday. I'm going to go to every CG. I'm going to do everything I can so that the word of God and the truth of God and the power of God can somehow, some way grow in these people's lives. That's what church membership should be. You know what I'm saying? It's not about making me happy, making sure that I get what I want. That's country club mentality. You know, we're called to be the church. And the church can't be the church unless we're all committed to helping each other grow and see the word of God grow in each other and see eternal fruit 
being born and growing in other people's lives. Do you guys get this? Right? Do you see I have this pent-up energy? It's two weeks, okay? But that's it. But that's what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to have that kind of mentality towards church. I want to see my friends grow. I want to see this person I don't even know grow. You know, I want to see this newcomer here. I want to see that person grow. Because I know God's awesome and this person needs God. We all need God. But I need to commit myself to be a minister, to pray for him, to invest in him, to love him, to preach to him. And, so, and, and then not only that, but to live out the truth powerfully in my life so that he can get the benefit of all that. Because he needs to grow eternally and it's my responsibility to do that. That's what it means to be a church member. Can you imagine if each one of us in this room came with that mindset of church? You know, so we all rock up at like 1.30 and all of a sudden Elsa's like, oh, okay, prepare your hearts. When people say prepare your hearts, what do you think about? You like, you might repent of your sins from that week. You might say, oh God, you know, bless me today. Why? What if we all of a sudden said, oh, to prepare my heart means to, I need to pray for everybody else in this room. I need to make sure that the word of God changes their lives. What if that's what it meant? Can you imagine if every single person came to this worship service with that kind of mentality and burden? Do you think church would change? I think so. This is what ministers do. This is how ministers come to church. And we're all ministers, you know? So we need to fundamentally change in that way. Eddie, what does that look like to preach two truth to somebody? You know, uh, oh my goodness, there's so many things to say. But let me just, let me just, here, here's one way. Maybe you're having a conversation while you're fellowshipping. And all of a sudden a verse comes to mind. You know, some people text that person a verse and that verse might encourage them. It might challenge them. It might inspire them. Maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, you know, I think this guy's not going in a biblical direction, in a godly direction. So you just say, hey, I think you should go in a godly direction. I think you should move in this biblical way. You know, there's so many ways we can operate as ministers to proclaim this truth to others, to see God's word work, you know, God's word work in their lives. But that's what we're called to do. Okay, I'll be. I'll talk about more of that a little bit more explicitly in the next point, but that's what we need to be doing at church. Do you guys get this fundamental shift? That's what God wants. Number three, a minister's purpose is to produce mature disciples. Verse twenty-eight: He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature. In Christ. I want everyone to memorize this verse. Okay? Well, you won't be tested. Your CG leader will not test you. But will you memorize this verse? He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is the goal of every minister. This is the goal of every member of church. When you wake up in the morning, this is what you should tell yourself. I was saved today so that people in my church can become fully mature. In Christ, and my role is to make sure people get there. Okay, that's what I want you to do. This verse is saying that God wants all of us to be fully mature in Christ. What does it mean to be fully mature in Christ? Well, um, the, what it means when someone is fully mature in Christ, it doesn't mean that they're sinless. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. Uh, the Hebrew word for this, which is fully mature in Christ, what it means is someone who's Life is so oriented towards Jesus that through their actions, through their motives and their heart, all they'll want to do is love God. They're not perfect, but that's what they want to do with their whole lives. That's what it means to be fully mature in Christ. And the, the most encouraging part of this verse is God is saying, this is what 
I saved everyone to be fully mature in Christ. And what that means is that everybody can actually become fully mature in Christ. But how do I become fully mature in Christ? There's only one way. You know what the one way is? When we get ministered to by the people in our church. It takes ministers to help us become fully mature in Christ. Therefore, we essentially need you. You are so essential. It is so essential that you see yourself as a minister called to help your brothers and sisters become fully mature in Christ. It is only then when we're all on the same page that we all can actually become fully mature in Christ. Do you know what I'm saying? So the question then is, how do I help somebody become fully mature in Christ? And this is what this verse says is that we do that by proclaiming Christ to others. We actually preach Jesus to others. We, we do it in two ways. If there was, this verse says we admonish them. And then we also teach them. Admonish means to warn or to rebuke. And teach means to teach them the truth of Christ. And so as harsh as that sounds, that's what church needs to look like. People admonishing, warning, rebuking each other, and then teaching each other how to walk with Jesus. Does anyone here play golf? Sad days. Uh, I play golf. I love golf. Um... The golf swing is the most unnatural swing in sports, okay? If you ever take a lesson, you'll realize this is not natural. This is absolutely bad, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, and the, but the reason why we do so is because all we want to do is what? Hit a ball straight, right? That's all we want to do. That's the goal of golf. If, you, if you've ever gone to the range, you know how hard it is to hit the ball straight. People spend thousands of dollars on lessons asking people to help them hit this one-inch ball straight. They don't care how far it goes. They just want to hit it straight, and it's really, really difficult. When I first started playing golf, I had someone watch me and correct me, or watch me, watch my swing. And can I tell you that one-hour lesson that I had, all this, this person didn't tell me all the positive things that I was doing. Okay, there were hardly any. But basically, 45 minutes of that lesson was dedicated to everything that I was doing wrong with the address, with the take back, with the swing, with the contact, with the follow through, everything that I was doing wrong. And he was pointing it all out, right? But the thing is, for me, I welcomed every bit of that criticism. Why? Because my goal was simply to hit this ball straight. I want to be a great golfer. I want to be able to hit this ball straight. So you welcome criticism. You, you got to fix me, right? You, tell me what I'm doing. Teach me how to do it right later, but take away all the crap that's helping me, that's making me hit it crooked. You got to take that away. And that's what we do. You know, in the same way in the Christian life, right? Uh, what we naturally want to do is usually crooked. And we need the church and we need fellow ministers around us watching us, praying for us, caring for us, so that our crooked ways, so that they can make us aware of all of our sinful thoughts, all of our sinful motives, our sinful actions that cause our life to go crooked. They need to point that out to us. They need to tell us those things so that we can get rid of those things so that our lives can start going straight in the ways that God always designed for us to go. And then after that admonishment or that admonishing, and the warning and the rebuking, we now need the teachings of Christ to empower the truths of our straightness, you know, and so that we can empower this, this life that's going straight now 
for God and his glory. That's why admonishing and teaching are so essential within our lives. If you are not taking responsibility to help grow and mature other people in the church, you need to do that today. We need ministers in the church to help each other grow, to help each other mature. We need ministers who will speak the truth in love and help each other grow. But Eddie, that's going to fundamentally change my church experience. I don't want people to tell me how bad I am. I don't want people to tell me how messed up I am, how sinful I am. That'll make me not want to come to church. And that's a sad thing because all that's really saying more than anything else is that you maybe you don't really want Jesus. But I hope that's not true because that's what we want and we want to see that within you. But you, but you want Another thing you have to realize is it's not comfortable for me to tell you what's wrong with you. It's not comfortable for your friend to tell you what you need to fix. But yet that's absolutely necessary. We need to be absolutely committed to developing stronger, deeper, Christ-centered relationships. Right? That's the only way the church is going to grow. So start proclaiming Christ to others, warning them, teaching them so they, they can become mature. Our purpose is to grow others to full maturity. Here's one question that I want to ask you. Ever since you came to the church or you entered the church, how many people have you grown to full maturity? Hopefully many. But that's our calling. Right? And I want you to start thinking that way. God, you've called me to grow people to full maturity. Help me to be that kind of member. Uh, lastly, a minister's method is hard work. To this end, verse 29, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. This phrase, strenuously contend, literally means to labor to the point of exhaustion, right? That's what it's saying. A minister labors to the point of exhaustion. And we do that not because we believe it's up to us or if we don't do it, something's going to go wrong. God does all the work. God does all the changing. But the reason why we work up to the point of exhaustion is because God is already working within the lives of the people that we're serving. And God has invited us to work with him to take part in this eternal transformation. And hopefully that is your greatest joy and that is your greatest desire to be used in this world. Humanly, I don't like ministry. If you know me well enough, I say that enough that you'll know I don't like being a pastor. I don't like you know ministry all that much because it is too hard. But what I love being about a Christian and what I love being about your particular pastor is because I get to see lives change in front of my eyes. I wake up with this mentality. I pray with that mentality. I preach with this mentality. I prepare. I do everything that I can with this mentality. And I beg God, God, help me to be a part of what you're doing. Help me to even see lives change. And the greatest part of this job is that even though it costs me so much, sometimes way beyond what I expect, I get to see lives transform in front of me. I, I get this... Uh, it sounds selfish, but it is selfish. I get this heartwarming feeling and confidence knowing that I'm a part of something that God's doing eternally in my generation right now. And there's nothing like that. There's nothing that compares to that. And I get to work my hands to the bone, and I get to work feverishly, exhaustingly, because God invited me to be a part of that. And so my prayer for you guys as the church, even though it sucks to hear like, oh yeah, you need to work really hard to the point of exhaustion. We do that because we get to be invited into this eternal work. And my prayer for you is that your faith in Christ, your love for Jesus will be so great that you can think of nothing greater 
than to work yourselves to the point of exhaustion, knowing and being confident that God is using you to produce fruit eternally in people that will change your lives, your church, and your generation for his glory, and that there's nothing else that compares. I talked long today, sorry. I'm ending now. But to get back to the application, I'm asking you to make a fundamental permanent shift in the way you view yourself. Be a minister first, everything else second, okay? You are a minister. And and even though I use this word a lot, the church doesn't need members. The church needs ministers, okay? We don't need you to be a good member. We need you to be a committed minister. And if you could think of yourself like that, oh my gosh, how the church might change. This is what we need from you. God, I hope God is speaking to you. It's not just me or my officers or my CG leaders that come to church with this mentality of, a minute, of to be a minister. It's all of us. Willing to suffer, that's first. You know, wanting to see mature disciples grow and knowing that you're called to do that. Warning people, preaching truth, taking their arms and saying, you know, I know you struggle with sin, but I'm going to walk with you into victory, doing whatever we can to help people move in that direction. Will you be a minister? That's what God is calling us to be. Let's pray. Let's just spend some time in prayer. Let's just spend a minute or two and ask God, God, help me to be a minister, not a member. And use my life to impact my generation, my church, my CG, my Tuesday night sports club, whatever it might be, eternally for your glory and let me know the joy of what that's like. Can we pray that together? Let's be ministers together. Let's pray. church. We just can't thank you enough. Even using things like CG Olympics, all these things to bring us closer together. Father, continue to teach us what's upon your heart. And apparently, Father, we must be ready to hear this message of us all being called to ministry. Lord, help us, help this church to be a church filled with ministers. Not just country club members, not people who have that country club mentality, but people who have this ministry mentality, knowing that they have this privilege of being called to impact so many lives eternally for your glory. 
Help us to embrace that and to walk it powerfully for you. Lord, make this church a church that truly loves you, that's centered upon you, that wants you to be everything. Ministers first for your glory. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.